And uh, it's just been a real joy to be here. And what a beautiful place you guys live in. I thought we had all of the beauty in the Northwest, but I was wrong. There's a, there's a lot here as well. As Tony mentioned, uh, I've been pastoring at Calvary Chapel. Um, I don't know where the time has gone. I just celebrated my 50th birthday, so I'm half a century old now. That seems old to me. Maybe not to some of you, but to me it seems very old. And uh, But I've been uh, there serving since I was 24. And so I've been there uh, as a pastor longer than not. And um, and it's just amazing how fast the years go by and, and just what the Lord does in that time and, and the things you learn along the way. And uh, when Tony asked me to bring the word today, there was just, uh, you know, any number of directions that a pastor might go. But there's some things that I want to share with you this morning that have become especially near and dear to my heart from God's word as it relates to how to go through trials. Can anyone relate to the theme of, of trials and suffering in life? We all can. It's always a relevant topic. Uh, but there's some things that the Lord has been teaching my wife and I uh, over the last handful of years. I suppose more than that. But uh, about 16 years ago, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And so I went through about two and a half years of chemotherapy and and uh, almost died and just went through all of the drama that goes along with uh, having cancer. And cancer is something that, um, you know, it's sort of out there. It's, it's someone else and, until you find yourself in that world and you realize it's bigger than you ever knew. And, um, and so the Lord brought us through that and we learned some real lessons about the faithfulness of God and how much we desperately need the Lord. And um, in uh, the last year and a half, my wife, uh, Tiffany, also had her own journey through cancer. She uh, went through breast cancer and, and surgery and chemo and radiation and all of that fun stuff. And no doubt there are probably not just a few people here in this room that have, have walked that journey or you know someone close to you who has. And uh, so I trust that as I share this morning... Uh, that whether you've gone through something like this or something similar um, or not, the, the truth is probably in the course of time you will. And uh, what I love about God's word, what I love about the gospel is it's realistic and hopeful. God tells us the truth. He speaks the truth in love. And, uh, and yet he always does it in a way that draws us near to him and gives us hope, and we find ourselves being carried along through these these experiences in life, and, and after a while you just look back and you say, I don't know how I got here, <laughs> but it's just by the grace of God. And, and so this morning isn't uh, going to be a lighthearted message uh, for sure, but I do hope that it's encouraging. I, I believe that uh, it's important that we have courage. And that's something that comes outside of us because it's rooted in the nature of God, trusting the Lord. And uh, we need his grace for that. And I wish there were easier ways to learn the lessons that God has for us. I wish there was a, uh, an easier path to, um, to develop character than the path of suffering. But the truth of the matter is, it is a, a unique delivery system of God's grace. It's a, it's a means of God's grace, and, and, and the whole world suffers. Uh, but not everyone knows how to suffer well. We would not know 
how to suffer well and experience God's best in the midst of it if it weren't for the fact that we have a suffering Savior. And that's important to realize is that he identifies with us. He came into this fallen world and he experienced everything and so much more than we'll ever experience. And he showed us how we can grow through it and how uh, God uses this to bring glory to himself and others to himself. And so this is some of the backdrop behind what I want to share with you uh, this morning. I want to begin with a little excerpt from a terrific little book by Max Licato. Uh, by the, t- the title is The Eye of the Storm. And, and um, this particular little uh, section he, he writes about, he calls The Pebble in the Window. He said, there's a window in your heart through which you can see God. Once upon a time, the window was clear. Your view of God was crisp. You could see God as clearly as you could see a gentle valley or a hillside. The glass was clean, the window pane unbroken. You knew God. You knew how God worked. You knew what God wanted you to do. No surprises, nothing unexpected. You knew God had a will, and you continually discovered what that will was. And then suddenly, the window cracked. A pebble broke the window. It was a pebble of pain. Perhaps the stone struck when you were still a child and a parent left home forever. Maybe the rock hit in adolescence when your heart was broken. Maybe you made it into adulthood before the window was cracked, but the pebble came. Was it a phone call? Someone who said, we have your daughter here at the station, you'd better come down. Was it a letter on the kitchen table that read, I left? Don't try to reach me. Don't try to call me. It's over. I just don't love you anymore. Was it a diagnosis from a doctor who said, I'm afraid our news is not very good? Was it a telegram that read, We regret to inform you that your son is missing in action? Whatever the pebbles formed, the result was the same. A shattered window. That pebble missled into the window pane and shattered it. The crash echoed down the halls of your heart. The cracks shot out from that point of impact, creating a spider web of fragmented pieces. And then, suddenly, God was not so easy to see anymore. The view that was once so crisp had changed. You turned to see God and his figure was distorted. It was hard to see him through the pain. It was hard to see through the fragments of hurt. Have you ever experienced that? What was it? What is it that has shattered your window? What has happened in your life that makes it difficult at the moment for you to see God? Was it the loss of a child, a crime against you or someone you love? Maybe the loss of a marriage or your health or even your childhood. And What is it that makes it so difficult to see God as he claims to be that loving and wise and powerful and good God? That's the question uh, before us this morning that I want us to consider. It's not a new question, of course, by any means. As long as there's been suffering and the knowledge of God, this nagging question has been on the collective heart of mankind. I don't want to try to answer the question, the global question, in terms of of why is there suffering in the world. I, I could... I could take you through Scripture and help you see in general why there's evil, why there's suffering, and all of that. 
But you know what I've found in my own journey? As much as I, I do care about the suffering in the world, a lot of times what I really wrestle with is not so much, um, God, why is there suffering in the world, but God, why is there suffering in my life? Like, what's, what's happening here with me and in my situation? And do you know, I have found when I ask why, God, it, it's not a question he actually answers, at least not right away. And what I've found is we don't need reasons as much as we need resources. Because even if God were to tell us why, Probably we wouldn't like the answer many times. How many of you have kids or grandkids that ask why a lot? And you try to explain and you think you've done a pretty good job. And it's not sufficient. And they have more questions. And one question leads to another. And pretty soon you realize, you know, I don't think they really are looking for, <laughs> for the answer, the real answer. I think they just want what they want. Or maybe they just aren't capable of comprehending at that moment. They just aren't mature enough to understand, and they just can't understand. And so it is with us so many times. God, why? And he says, well, I, I could tell you, but it's not important right now. I want you to just trust me through it. And Oswald Chambers said, our heart cries out for answers. He, he gives us himself instead. And I like that. It's so true. Sometimes he just, he just gives us himself. And many times I've had to tell my children over the years when they're asking those questions, I just say, do you know Daddy loves you? Yes. <laughs> okay, well then I'm going to ask you to trust in my love. Okay? I want you to, don't trade what you do know for what you don't know. You know some things about me as your dad. You know some things about your mother. You know that we're good and that we love you and that we have your best in mind. And there's things that either you can't comprehend just yet, you will someday, or you just you don't want what we're putting before you at this moment that we know is good for you. But you just, you're writing a different script. You have a different agenda. And so much of the Christian life, especially as it pertains to suffering, is learning to let God write the script. To let God accomplish what He's trying to accomplish in and through our lives. If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you did. And uh, maybe some of you younger people, you, you brought a Bible app and you want to swipe there. We're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And I'm just going to read them here, these handful of verses for you. Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And you probably caught that phrase in verse 17, our light affliction. That's actually, um, it's surprising to hear Paul use that phrase when you understand the context and, and, and the place from which he is writing. But that is the title of the message this morning, our light affliction. And the first thing that I want you to consider, the first point, if you're a note taker, is the attitude of a suffering Christian. 
That's what I want us to reflect on for uh, a little bit of time here this morning in verse 16, the attitude of a suffering Christian, and more specifically, the courage that is displayed. Do you know that God wants to be characteristic of you and me, uh, this quality of courage? Uh, If you you encourage someone, you're adding courage. You recognize that they're discouraged and that they lack courage and that they're fearful. And you come along and you, you say things that they need to hear to add courage. And the Lord wants us as... Uh, it relates to suffering to to go through it with courage. And courage doesn't mean we don't experience very real fear. It just means that we don't allow the fear to morph into unbelief. Sometimes, you know, fear itself is just an emotion. It's like one of those blinking lights on the dashboard of your soul. It just alerts you to something. How you respond when you're fearful is either right or wrong. And and but but the fear itself. Is, is is just that alarm system. And God's saying, hey, pay attention. There may be some danger here. Sometimes it's a real danger. Sometimes it's just a perceived danger. But but it feels very distressing. And and what the Lord wants to do is he wants you to, in in your fear, to turn to him and, and, and run to him and to trust him. Don't let fear become an excuse for unbelief. And he says we do not lose heart. To lose heart means to be spiritless, wearied, exhausted, faint-hearted in view of trial or difficulty. It means to be slothful in duty sometimes or cowardly, to lose courage. And Paul is saying this is not characteristic of a child of God. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't feel these things and we're not tempted to respond in these ways. It just, this should not be typical. This should not be characteristic of a child of God. Because in a sense, you're living as if the resurrection never happened and and God is not who He says He is. And He wants you to remember that He is who He says He is and He's doing what He promised to do. And He says, so we don't lose heart. And Paul was well qualified to speak on this subject, by the way. Um, You may remember... Later in this very book, in chapter 11, and I won't turn there for now, but he goes down this catalog of sufferings. He was beaten with rods. He he was scourged, just like Jesus was scourged, 39 stripes. He was shipwrecked. He, he was imprisoned and stoned. He was left for dead more than once. He, he suffered all kinds of hardships in his life. And then he says... And as if that weren't enough, all of these concerns of the churches weigh heavily on me. And any pastor understands what that is like. The last few weeks in our church has been pretty heavy. There have been three people that have died, not old people, young people. People, it's just shocking. Just all of a sudden, things have happened. And it's just, sometimes, you know, it just comes in waves. I was driving down to Cape May just uh, the other day and got a, a call from someone in our church. They were just crushed. Their son had just been killed in a, in a fall on a construction site in another country. And, um, and so they had, to, they had to go quickly to him. And, and probably they won't come back. Probably they won't be able to come back. They come from that country. And it's just a lot of things culturally that go on in times like that. And, 
and uh, we may not may not see them again. Um, another woman who's been in our church for many years, just in the last month, had to have her leg amputated. She struggles with a lot of things, and seemed like she was recovering really well and just got an email yesterday that they have to take more of her leg than they originally thought and you know i i'm sure you have similar stories just things that that you just go lord jesus come quickly (laughs) you know it's just um but you know paul said something extraordinary to me i i just it just every time i think about this i i just shake my head and wonder uh, he was on his way. He it was his last journey back to Jerusalem, and and a prophet had had, had uh, spoken. The Holy Spirit had spoken through a prophet uh, that that chains awaited Paul in Jerusalem. That he was going to be imprisoned there, and uh, you know he was pretty used to that. But he had the sense that he probably wouldn't be leaving, and um, and so he's talking there on the shores of Miletus. The the different uh, people from the churches around Ephesus, the elders there, and, and they're just, you know, they're, they're hugging him, they're kissing him, they're weeping together, and they're saying, please don't go, Paul. And he says this extraordinary thing in Acts 20. He says, what do you mean by all this weeping? You're breaking my heart, man. Stop it. And he says, none of these things move me. And I'm thinking, Paul, there's all kinds of things that move me. You know, if I just had one week in his life of suffering, it'd just be so overwhelming and so disorienting, you know. And he says, none of these things move me. He'd been through a lot. In fact, right out of the gates in his ministry, he was told, remember, the Lord spoke through Ananias and said, he's a chosen vessel of mine and he needs to know how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. You remember that? The book of Acts. And so he, he knew what he was signing up for when he followed Jesus, but he had a radical encounter with Jesus and uh, he knew it was going to be worth it to be on mission with the Lord. And so it is for you and me. But what was it that enabled Paul to be so unmoved? It was a clear sense of his calling. Do you have a clear sense of your calling and your life purpose? Are you still writing the script of your own life or think you are? Or do you realize that that Jesus is doing something for eternity? It's much bigger than you can see. And it's it's just a, a, a day of great liberation when you, you, you turn that over to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever. Like Job famously said, though he slay me, I will trust him. You know, you, you couldn't say that if you hadn't established and you didn't have fixed in your own heart this deep conviction that God is good and God is God and I'm not. I remember when I was diagnosed how the Holy Spirit began to minister to me. You just can't prepare for something like that. I was 34 years old. We had four babies from eight months to eight years old. So we are just just young pups with a young family you know looking forward to our whole life together and i get this diagnosis and it's just it's just the strangest experience you know and i i was an athlete my whole life i was a a gymnast i was a wrestler in college and high school and you know it's not that i felt i was invincible i just didn't think about it at all you know i just it's not on your radar that you're going to have cancer and uh, and if you, you think you might, you kind of associate it with other sorts of maybe uh, just bad life choices, you know, smoking cigarettes or drinking or whatever, you know. And I just never in a million years 
imagined at 34 years old that I'd have cancer. But there we were. And, um, you know, um, the way the Lord ministered to me, as I said at the beginning, was realistic and hopeful. I don't know if you ever have conversations <laughs> like this with God, but, but I do all the time, and He knows just how to talk to me. And um, He does not coddle me. He's very gentle and, 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 and loving in how He deals with me, but, but He's also very just candid with me. And um, it was nothing audible, but it was just a deep impression, a, a, a very real sense that he was speaking to my heart. I'll never forget sitting in that doctor's office with my wife and my oncologist, who would become my oncologist. He was just an oncologist that was trying to diagnose things. And, and um, he and another specialist uh, were there, and they were giving us the bad news. And one of the first things that popped into my head was... Uh, <laughs> Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> you know, it was it was just sort of this, ah, you know, they trotted out all this evidence, you know, your blood work, your bone marrow biopsy, all these things, you know, it's just, there's just no question about it. You've got cancer and, and you're just, you know, uh, they give you the bad news. It's just like the gospel. God tells us the bad news so the good news makes sense. Amen. <laughs> like nobody's going to look for salvation if they don't realize they need it. And they'd done a good job of telling me the truth about my blood and my symptoms and how long do you think they had to twist my arm to take the good news? You know, all of a sudden, give it to me. Let's get started. When do we start, you know? And so all that to say that sometimes God is working in our circumstances and he's, he's giving us what, as far as we can tell, is just terrible news. But you need to understand that it comes... Sometimes in the form of us, it's a severe mercy, as someone once said. Sometimes, you know, God is as gentle as possible, but as firm as necessary. And he just, he has his way. But one of the questions that popped into my mind was, God, why? Why this? Why now? Why me? Do you know what he said? John, why not you? <laughs> not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> John, why not you? John, the whole world suffers. Why not you? You have hope. You have the assurance of eternity with me. You know it's not always going to be this way. And he began to impress upon my heart and my mind to redeem the time. And whenever I would get discouraged and start to do what's, what Paul says not to do here, which is to lose heart, when I would start to lose heart, the Lord would remind me, and this was the next thing he told me. He said, John, I'm, I'm just as in control of your life today as I've ever been. You're just going to go through a process of constant reminders of that fact. I am absolutely in control, and you're, you're going to have to trust me. And you can trust me. Are you suffering today? You know, suffering reveals a lot about us. I want to show you just a little object lesson here. I'm, I'm going to stand back. I'm going to stand back so I don't actually get water on the electrical stuff, so don't panic, worship team. But, <laughs> but I want you to watch this. a simple object lesson. Okay? And I just have a, a question for you. Um... Why did water come out of this bottle? 
because you shook it. Well, that's not wrong. I shook it. And of course, water is going to come out when I shake it. But someone else actually caught it. Why did, let me change my intonation a little bit. Why did water come out of this bottle? Because there's water in the bottle. Milk didn't come out. Water came out. And this is what the way it is in life. So often, uh, the shakeups of life, we, we try to look for reasons as why things are happening in our life because we think the problems are outside of us. But the message of the Bible is very clear. Our problems, our greatest problem is inside of us. And it's the things outside of us, the shakeups that reveal the condition of our heart and our desperate need for Jesus. And so we're finding ourselves plunged into this trial of suffering that we did not like. And yet the Lord was revealing things in us and through us that God wanted us to know. I, there's a great author, if, if, you, if you've never heard of Paul Tripp, he's one of my favorite authors. And he, um, when he talks about suffering, he often calls it, uh, he talks about how important it is for Christians to suffer well. And he, he calls it a theology of uncomfortable grace. <laughs> I like that. And he says this, sometimes God takes us where we don't want to go in order to accomplish in us something we could never achieve on our own. It's so true. Is God taking you today maybe down a path you don't want to go? You didn't choose it. And yet, if you're humble and teachable, there's something He's doing in you that you could never accomplish. I mean, we say, make me like Jesus. Are you sure? <laughs> Do you really want to be like Jesus? I wish there were an easier way, but thank God for a suffering Savior. Aren't you glad that He came as a suffering Savior the first time? Yes. Henrietta Mir said, The way I know not, but well do I know my guide. <clears throat> I remember when I was a little boy, my mom and I were walking in this um, busy crowd, you know, this shopping, crowded shopping mall, and, and um, you know, being a little kid, I was curious, and she told me to stick close, but I didn't <laughs> and I wandered away from her and and uh, got separated from her and before I realized that I couldn't see her anymore I couldn't hear her anymore and she couldn't see me and hear me and before you know it I'm just there standing there just in a panic and starting to cry and and uh, and you know moms they can hear from 50 miles away the cries of their baby and so she came making her way through the crowd and she found me and she says Johnny I told you I want you to stay right here by me and she took me by the hand and the minute she saw me and I saw her and 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 you know I mean the whole world was just belt buckles to me kind of still is to be honest but I you know I I don't realize how short I am until I'm in a crowd and I'm like wow this is really bad uh, so so, uh, by the way, so thankful for the size of your pastor. This pulpit's just awesome. <laughs> it just feels so anointed to stand here. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, the minute that my, my mom showed up, I still couldn't see. I still didn't know where I was going, but it didn't matter because I had mom. She knew where she was going. The way I knew not, but well did I know my mom. And so I knew it was going to be okay. God doesn't deliver us from trials. He delivers us through them. And my mom used to teach me, Johnny, beware of self... I was, my mom was a single mom, and so life was pretty hard. 
I, I don't know that there's many jobs harder on the planet than being a single mom, single parent. Um, but she used to say, John, beware of self-pity. It, it absolutely is a trap. Satan can tempt us to run from our trials, but when we do that, we short-circuit the learning process. God's doing something in that moment. We need to really pay attention. And um, it's tempting. I remember looking at my kids just saying, Lord, are you serious right now? Is this really your best? Is this really your best for me? I, I remember, I, I'm a pretty happy guy, and, and I've, I've never personally struggled with depression, but I know many who do, and maybe that's something that you struggle with. And uh, I, I just want to encourage you with a passage of Scripture, because there was a, there was a time in this journey where I, was, I, I started to just kind of go in to this dark place and uh, it's just so overwhelmed I mean you're just just so much they're dumping so much into you by way of drugs and chemotherapy and it just kind of messes with your body and your emotions and your mind and and I remember uh, wake, I, I couldn't sleep I was just taking prednisone by the handfuls steroids are kind of part of the whole you know protocol and uh, they just they make you can't sleep and you get irritable and and uh, just sort of disoriented, and um, and I remember not sleeping, and 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 probably four or five o'clock in the morning in the winter, it was still dark, and and uh, I finally got up, and I went downstairs, and and Tiffany and the kids were asleep. I didn't want to wake them up, but I was just really going over the edge emotionally. I was just totally overwhelmed. I'd never felt like this before, and I just couldn't pull up. I just was losing it. And I went downstairs, and, and I, I knelt by the chair, and um, and I ha- here's what was really strange, is, is I hadn't read my Bible in probably three or four weeks. I hadn't prayed. It was really unusual for me, not just because I'm a pastor, but, but just I love God's Word. I mean, I, I do not ever get tired of studying the Bible. I just love it. And, and so for me to not be in the Word was, was really just unusual and, again, disorienting. And I'd lost sight of the fact that it's a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle was going on. I was very aware of, of course, the physical affliction and the, the physical suffering. And I was trying to process all of this. You know, just like, what is happening with me? I, I'm not myself. And, and I'm trying to sort of logically reason out. Well, I'm, you know, there's these drugs and these side effects and chemotherapy is destroying my brain, you know. <laughs> and I was, I was just kind of out of it and and so I'm kneeling there and I hit the and I call this my Peter prayer because you remember when Peter was walking on the water Jesus you know tell me to come walking he's walking and and he's doing fine until he takes his eyes off of the Lord right and then he just starts to sink like a rock and do you remember what he prayed I'll give you a hint there's only two words (laughs) Lord help and that's exactly what I said I hit my knees and I just started weeping Lord help I just I, I, I just was I'd never felt so sad in my whole life. And the Lord began to minister to me, and I, I, I wish I could describe it to you better, but um, all I can tell you is He was just there. You ever had those experiences? I mean, I can't put it in a test tube and show it to you, but it was very real. And the Lord was just there with me, and He began to minister to me, and He, he told me to open up the Word, and... and um, I didn't really feel like reading. I'll be honest with you. I just kind of drug my feet a bit on that. And, and, and uh, then I was like, okay. And so, Lord, what do you want me to read? And he impressed on my mind Nehemiah. 
which was a little unusual as well. Right? Probably Nehemiah is not your you know, top five books that you go to when you're looking for encouragement or whatever. And so I thought, whatever, you know, I'm, you know, you are God, so I got to be something in here. <laughs> you know, just kind of a stinky attitude about it. And I opened up and I read the first few chapters and it was just nothing, you know. I just wasn't getting anything out of it. I get to chapter four. You can go back and... Well, you can turn there now if you want, but 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 I'm going to go quickly for the sake of time. But Nehemiah chapter 4, I'll set it up for you, a little bit of context. So Nehemiah and the children of Israel had been in Babylon. They were in captivity for all these years, and then God uh, made the way for them to go back and, and to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. He went back to start rebuilding the walls. And in the land, there were these Arabs and, and other peoples around that had been there that whole time, and they didn't want them coming back and, and retaking the, the land and, and rebuilding the walls. And so uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Now it happened when Sembalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Now, at this moment, the Lord had my attention because remember, what I was feeling was very confused and very disoriented. So when I read that, I, all of a sudden I was, I was a little more attentive and I kept reading. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. And here I am in the darkness and I'm weeping and I'm confused and disoriented and the Lord starts to remind me there's an enemy. There's a very real enemy. And yes, you're dealing with chemo and yes, you're dealing with, with, with medicines and yes, you're dealing with cancer and yes, you're dealing with all this. But there's more to this picture that you've lost sight of. And Judah said, the strength of the labors is failing and there's so much rubbish. And boy, my life felt like a heap of that rubbish that we're not able to build the wall and our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease and by then I just started weeping again because it was like the Lord saying John do you understand I'm working here and even if you've lost sight of that the enemy has not lost sight of that and he wants to come and create confusion because he wants to cause the work to cease. And there's something going on here. It's a work. It's not about you and your sad circumstances. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and they told us ten times from whatever place you turn though will be upon us and and the enemy was threatening me you're going to die and and you're going to lose your family and your kids aren't going to have a daddy and and Tiffany's going to be all alone and who's going to lead the church you know and and I'm just I'm you're not going to be able to minister anymore which is such a passion you know I just everything looked like I was losing it all and then <clears throat> Nehemiah says therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, and here it is. This is um, a real defining moment. He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your houses. And I started bawling my head off again. 
because it didn't take much. You understand? When you're a young dad at, at 34, and I just, I just love, love, love my kids, and I would lay there in the backyard. We had this little gazebo that our neighbor, our, our good friend made for us because they knew I was going to be sick for a long time, and it was summertime. They wanted me to be able to lay in the backyard and watch my kids, and so I, I've got no hair, you know, and I'm just all frail, and I would lay on a little swing in our gazebo, and I would watch my kids play, and I would just cry. I think, oh, Lord. Still gets me. And I was afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. Fight. Paul got the end of his race and he said, I fought the good fight. And you know, sometimes when you're going through stuff like this, it's tempting to act as if your life's already over. God had to remind me, and he did it often. John, you're not dead yet. Like, I can take you. I can take you home anytime. But you're not dead yet. Keep living. Keep loving. Keep leading. Keep doing what I made you to do. See, not everybody starts well, but we can finish well. And I began to realize... Lord, that's right. If you do take me home, I want to bring some people with me. And um, I thought ministry passed me by. I never forget being in the hospital and bemoaning that fact. And when the Lord said, John, look around you for crying out loud. You're in a hospital, man. There's all kinds of people that need hope. Amen. You're a pastor. Go share it with them. The Lord gave me many opportunities to share with nurses and doctors and fellow patients. But fight. Not in your strength. He said, remember the Lord. That's where your strength comes from. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot. Listen, God had brought their plot to nothing. That all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. That's how God works. In just a moment of time, a few moments of time, he took me out of the slew of despond. He took me out of that place of despair. I didn't need therapy. I didn't need drugs. I just needed the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's not a statement against, you know, sometimes God can use those things too, but I'm just saying, for me, the Lord just picked me right up and all of a sudden, I was inspired again. Remember I said, to be encouraged means to add courage. And all of a sudden, I had this courage that the Lord sort of downloaded to me through the truth of his word. And I was able to stand again. And Paul writes in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And remember, he talks about the belt of truth. That's what holds everything together. You lose your belt and your britches fall off. <clears throat> you lose everything. And... And and I'll tell you, I was losing heart and I was losing strength and I was starting to, to just question everything and the Lord said, no. We don't give up, we look up. And that's what the Lord taught me to do through that. So we've talked about how, how courage is displayed, but... But God also wants to develop our character. And notice that phrase, renewed day by day. 
God's doing a work in our character and it's a daily thing. He's at work each and every day and he's far more concerned with our character than he is with our comfort. I remember my wife, uh, to, to share a little bit from her uh, perspective in all this. And remember, I, I know what it's like to suffer as a cancer patient. Well, she does too now, but at the time, that was kind of my unique journey. But but she was suffering as a, as a young mom with four kids and, and having to trust God for a, a host of other reasons, and it was just as hard for her. In fact, I, I think it was more scary for her, uh, probably in many ways. But I remember or she would tell the story she uh, or in the early days and she's still processing this and trying to wrap her mind around it and you know like you moms do so well she was um, she knows she needed to be strong for our kids she needed to protect them and didn't want them to become fearful they were young enough they weren't totally sure what was going on but they saw daddy change you know and we didn't want them to be overwhelmed or scared by that and so she was doing her best to to just be strong for them and and but you know she hit her she has her limits too you know and she kind of was overwhelmed one day and she was going to see our pastor chuck chuck lind and he uh, she drove over to Pat and Chuck's house, and uh, she just needed to to she just needed ministry. And so she gets there, and uh, they're not home. And so she's uh, you know starting to feel a bit in a panic because there's nobody to talk to. And so she says, "Well, maybe I'll go to Pastor Gary, and he's another sweet older mentor in our lives in the ministry, and another one of the pastors on our staff." and so she goes to Gary and Rosemary, and they weren't home. And she finally, she's just really starting to lose it, and she pulls off to the side of the road and just starts sobbing. And she just says, Lord, there's nobody to talk to. And and she says, um, the Lord just spoke to her heart and said, well, maybe you could talk to me. <laughs> you know, and, and, and she's like, okay. <laughs> You know, and and it was in those moments. It's, it's sort of like Corey Tenboom, you know, used to say, "You'll never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have." Amen. And that's and that's what came home to her in a real precious way at that moment. And then, sort of like I described my experience with the Lord when He was right there, she experienced that same thing. The Holy Spirit was just right there to minister to her and to to just comfort her and give her strength for another day. And uh, and this is how the Lord works, you know. James writes, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It doesn't mean you're going to feel joyful and happy about it. It just means it's something you determine. You count it. You, you put it in the debit column. You say, this is, this is an asset. James is saying, this is, this is something um, of value in the Christian life. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that word perfect just means mature. God wants us to grow up. We're talking about how character is developed. We're talking about the attitude of a suffering Christian. God is doing a work in our character. I'm told that goldsmiths and silversmiths, and um, when they're refining gold and silver... Uh, that they skim away that dross and, and they know that it's the refining process is finished when they can see the reflection. And, and I think that's such a beautiful picture of what the Lord's doing in our trials is He's purging out the dross, all that unbelief, all that selfishness, all that pride, all of those things get exposed. 
and, and they kind of float to the surface and, and the Lord just skims that away and he says, oh, now looky, there I am. <laughs> and he sees Jesus. People see Jesus in you too. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, the daily troubles we have are meant to drive us to God, to drive us to the promise and also to show us where our weak points are in order that we may contend with all our might against them. I believe, my dear friends, the most hard-hearted, cross-grained, and most unlovely Christians in all the world are those who've never had much trouble. And those who are the most sympathizing, loving, and Christ-like are generally those who've had the most affliction. The worst thing that can happen to any of us is to have our path made too smooth. And one of the greatest blessings the Lord ever gave us was a cross. See, it takes... You've got to log a few miles with the Lord in this world to be able to say amen to that. But it is worthy of an amen. Peter talks about trials. He says, if it's just a little while and they're necessary. I call it painful but necessary. <laughs> it's messy but necessary. God says, I'm doing something. It's going to bring glory to me. It's going to be good for you. And, and Jesus, again, he... He's our high priest. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. You may find mercy and help in your time of need. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And Paul says that there's a renewing process that God is doing. It's an inside process. And I'm finding that this principle to be true in our own journey. Our roots of faith go deeper and our, our fruits of the Spirit grow more abundant when the winds of affliction blow through our lives. Do you find that to be true? Amen. God cares about your roots and your fruits. And, and, and I'm telling you, uh, it's, it is when the winds of affliction blow into our life. Um, so important, this character. Well, the last two I'm going to go through much more quickly. So uh, we'll finish on time. But we've talked about the attitude of a suffering Christian. Uh, I want to talk for just a bit about the affliction itself, the affliction of a suffering Christian. Notice in verse 17, he describes it as light, as momentary, and as working for us. And now most would consider Paul's afflictions anything but light. How in the world could he make this claim? And it has to do with his perspective. Again, Corey Tinboon, you'll never know Jesus is all you need till Jesus is all you have. This word affliction, by the way, is an interesting Greek word. It's the word thalipsis. It's a little bit of a tongue tire. Uh, thalipsis. <clears throat> and here's what it means. Crushing pressure. Uh, it was a term they used to describe the crushing of grapes. And if you've ever been over to Israel, you've seen the, the little the, the vats and, they, and they, they stomp the grapes and the juice comes out. But, but that, that crushing was a great metaphor for what we go through in life in the pressures and trials of life. It, it, it's sort of a, we feel like we're being crushed under the weight of these things. <laughs> John, <laughs> John Corson, um, great teacher, he said, how do you know when you're suffering affliction? You let out a little wine. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of his way of, of making the point, you know. We do tend to whine when we go. But, that's, but there's, there's, a, there's a sweet wine. And in the Bible, you know, wine is symbolic of joy. There's, there's a joy of the Lord that comes on the other side of suffering. And even in the midst of suffering, because it comes, it's, it's, it's not dependent on circumstances. It comes out of the nature of God himself. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. But it's in the process of this crushing that, that God does that. And, and um, 
C.S. Lewis said this, and, and it's so good. He says, pain removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. It's God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes we aren't very um, ready to listen to God. I'm not saying God's punishing you, by the way. If you're going through trials, I don't actually believe God deals with his children on a punitive basis. It's not in the model of justice. It's on the model of grace. And so wherever God is chastening or disciplining, discipline is teaching. And as I said before, he's as gentle as possible, but as firm as necessary. And he can use any means he wants to teach us things. And it's not punishing us. He's not just doling out consequences. That's for people. That's what happens for people who reject God ultimately. But for his children, it's, it's the process of discipline. Just like with our kids, it's done in a context of love and relationship. It's not for our destruction. It's, it's to make us better. And so, again, we're talking about uh, just the, why God uses affliction and, and that it is a light thing in the sense that compared to the bigger picture of what God's doing, it's, it's insignificant. When we're going through suffering, we think it's, it's like all there is. In fact, I'll tell you, cancer can flat out dominate your life. Like, like, you just can't not think about it. It's just always in your face. And you have, to, you have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I mean, you have to be very purposeful because it doesn't feel light. It feels heavy. It doesn't feel insignificant. It feels like everything in your world. And you need God's grace to say, no, this, this is nothing really in the light of eternity. It doesn't mean God's trivializing our pain. It's just he's putting it in its proper perspective. That's that's how we keep from being overwhelmed. That's how we have hope, is we, we've got to look at the bigger picture. He also says it's momentary. I hate hospital clocks at the foot of my bed because time stands still. When, you, when you're not having fun, time stands still. And it's it just not momentary, and, and it just seems to drag on and on and on. Do you ever hear of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata? Yeah, yeah she's amazing. What is she's probably in her seventies, I would guess by now. She's probably had a fifty, sixty year ministry. Unbelievable, reaching millions of people all over the world. She's a, par- a quadriplegic. She was paralyzed in a diving accident um, when she was seventeen. Her entire life, she's just been constrained by circumstances in a way, physically, and yet, like Paul, she could say. These things don't constrain me. The only thing that constrains me is the love of Christ. The love of Christ constrains me. And um, she said one time, I had to be healed of my desire to be healed. You know, she's not saying don't ask for healing. But there's a point, and she understood like Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 12. He says, you know, I ask God a lot to take this from me. He says, no. Can God do that? That's an answer to prayer. It may not be the answer we want, but it is an answer. And she finally realized, if I keep asking this and just... It's it's a form of disobedience. It's like this spoiled child just not accepting no for an answer. She said, I had to be healed of that. I had to be healed of my desire to be healed. You know, good desires can morph into sinful demands just like that. 
And it's a form of idolatry. I gotta have this or I can't be happy. It's not true. It's a fat lie. You you can you can have peace in your soul and joy in your heart if you're trusting the Lord. Well, he also says it's working. It's working. Working for us. Again, we ask, why me? Ann Graham Lotz said, why? She wrote a great little, it's like a little coffee table book. It's about suffering, but it's just, the title I think is just, why? And she says this, asking why is natural, but not always helpful or wise. Um, Frankly, it's a question God rarely answers, at least not right away. Why isn't so much a question as it is simply the cry of a broken heart? Isn't that true? Again, we don't need reasons. We need resources. We need comfort. We need strength. We need hope. We need wisdom. There's a lot of things that we need. The kind of answers we think we need aren't what we need. We need Jesus to carry us through it. And, you know, one of the the greatest blessings in this, I was in the hospital one time and I was just kind of having my devotions. I had my Bible there and the nurses got to know me pretty well. And, and, um, and I told you earlier, I, I, would, I just felt like ministry was going to pass me by. But early on in the process, the Lord let me know, John, look, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to minister to people. Are you willing? I, I've put you here for such a time as this. And the nurse came in and she says, you know, John, and she kind of, her, her voice gets a little quiet and she says, you didn't hear this from me, the whole HIPAA laws thing. She says, <laughs> she says, um, I became sort of a resident chaplain there, you know, in a way, because the nurses would always come to me. And, and she says, you know, there's a guy that just came in. He's down in room 311. And um, his name is George. And he's about your age. And he has a couple of kids. And he has the exact same diagnosis. You guys were diagnosed on the same day. And I go down there. And what's interesting is just a silly little thing, as I talked about it later. 311 is my birthday. And so, um, I'm not superstitious. I'm just saying, it was just really curious to me how I'm thinking I'm dying and yet the Lord is about to birth this new ministry. And he puts me in 311 with George. And I remember walking by the nurse's station with my IV pole. And and whenever I did that, I'd always look sad because I wanted ice cream. And so, I would, I would, I would look sad and they say, Oh, John, can we get you anything some ice cream that'd be nice and so I <laughs> so I would go by and I went down to see George and I'll never forget walking into his room he's a big man he's laying there and I said hey I said I hear we have the same tough news you know and we started a conversation that day and you know the Lord allowed me the great privilege and opportunity to lead George to the Lord and his wife and they ended up in our home group and uh, George, George died, and that was very, very heartbreaking. But for the next several years, his wife, um, uh, his daughter went into our youth group and got saved at camp, and uh, his, his wife, for a number of years, led our grief share ministry, and um, it was just really neat to see what the Lord did in their lives. I'll never forget in our, uh, in our home fellowship one time, she looked particularly sad, and I and we wondered, you know, what was wrong. And, and she said, you know, today is the anniversary of George's death. And um, she 
you know, of course, we we all cried and prayed. And, and she said, you know what, though? She says, I'm so thankful. Though I miss George terribly, she said, I realize he wouldn't be in heaven and I wouldn't be here if it weren't, if, if John didn't get cancer. And, and I just now, listen, I'm not... I'm not telling you that to try to be the hero of my story at all. I'm saying it's a very humbling thing to realize, and sometimes it's not till you're down the road a ways that you, that, that you start getting answers to the why question. And that is part of the answer. Why, John? Well, is it a good enough reason for you that, that I wanted some other folks to see the gospel lived out? Is that okay? Would you do that for me? Well, okay. <laughs> I don't think any of us are going to be complaining when we get to heaven saying, is this all there is? You know, we're not like... It's totally going to be worth it. But it doesn't always feel that way when we're going through the stuff. But would you rather have reasons or resources? I, I'll choose resources now, every time. P.T. Forsyth said, it's better to pray for pain's conversion rather than pain's removal. And there is a converting process. Um, there was a great. There's a missionary couple that came home. There's a story. This elderly couple. They arrived at the home port after many, many years of faithful service overseas. And at the dock, an ambassador and his wife, who had returned on the ship with them, were surrounded by a crowd. Roses were bestowed on his wife, the ambassador's wife, as photographers. Flashes exploded and an attentive admiring press and public hung on every word as he spoke of the joy of serving his government and coming home. As the missionary couple walked unnoticed through the crowd, the wife, with hot tears streaking down her face, wondered out loud to her husband, Why is it that we have given our whole lives to Christ and yet there is no one here to honor us and welcome us home? Her understanding husband reached beyond that lonely moment and said to her, Honey, we're not home yet. It was so good. Well, the last thing, and I'll finish with this. The aim of a suffering Christian. Basically, <clears throat> Paul says you got to take the long view. you got to realize there's a seen world and there's an unseen world. And he says, look to those things, not that are seen, but are unseen. One is temporary and one's eternal. And, and the interesting insight that I want to leave with you uh, about this um, is, is it's in the Greek word uh, for look, and it's the word skopeo, and you may recognize it's a root, is where we get our English word scope. Skopeo. And what it means is, is to take aim. It means to focus. We are to have a laser focus. When we're going, walking with Jesus in this fallen world and we're going through suffering, we are to have a certain kind of... Uh, we look through a particular lens. And, and it's, it's like a scope. And, we, and it's because God wants us to zero in on Him. Paul Tripp said this. He said, let me state it plainly. Your hope is not to be found in your willingness, in your willingness and ability to endure, but in God's unshakable, enduring commitment to never turn from His work of grace. Your hope is that you have been welcomed into communion with one who will endure no matter what. 
And and the last thing I would want you to, to, to walk away from this is that somehow you just need to try harder. You need to just stir up more faith and, you know, come on now, you can do it. No, no, no. I'm saying in so many words what Paul is saying here and he's saying, your greatest problem is inside you, the answer is outside you and it's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's because of his strength and because of his commitment to finish the work that he starts in you. He started it, he's going to finish it. Keep your eyes fixed on the author and finisher of faith And the Bible says we've got this great cloud of witnesses around us and all of their lives bear witness, bear testimony to the fact that a life of faith can be lived even in the most extraordinary circumstances. Amen? Well, you've been very gracious and very kind. I hope I didn't go too long. I'm looking at 1125 and I'm told that's when I need to stop. So I'm going to zip it. Can I pray for you guys? Let's stand together and if the worship team will come back up, we have a closing song. And if you'd like prayer, please come forward. My wife, Tiffany, is up here as well. And uh, we would love to to just uh, pray with you if if that would be an encouragement. Um, Lord, we thank you that you have given us a living hope. You are a living, loving Savior. And we just thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you've given us clarity on this issue from your word today and it never changes because you never change heaven and earth will pass away but your word will stand forever and we are thankful lord to be encouraged by the truth of your word and just the knowledge of your presence in our lives please have your way lord Uh, forgive us for our unbelief and our own selfish agendas, Lord. We just want to submit in a fresh new way to you this morning. Thank you that you give us hope in the midst of our sufferings. I pray that this would be a great comfort, this knowledge, to many here this morning. And we bless your name. We thank you, Jesus, that your perfect love casts out all of our fears. We love you in Jesus' name.